Welcome to the Trade Secrets Podcast, hosted by Damon Piatek, President and CEO of Welke Customs Brokers USA. Damon is a licensed U.S. Customs Broker and Certified Customs Specialist with more than 18 years' experience in the import-export customs, transportation, and logistics sectors. Each month, Trade Secrets will bring you guests in the industry to provide their insights on timely trade issues to give you an advantage in international trade. So now, let's talk trade. Welcome to the podcast. Damon Piatek, President and CEO of Welke Custom Brokers USA. Uh, Today we embark on our third episode of our 10-part series, which is a customs broker. What is it? Uh, How do they get their licenses? We're going to go into depth here. Uh, I'm going to try and give you as much information as I can in the next, um, you know, 20 minutes or so. So bear with me. Uh, We're going to start with a little bit of history. So in previous episodes, we talked about that ship coming into the wharf, the merchant meeting it there, and then dealing with the customs officer and paying the duties and taxes owed to U.S. Customs before the products came off of the ship and were able to enter into the commerce, quote-unquote, commerce of the United States. So what we look at now is as trade increased and those merchants bought more ships, uh, it was more and more difficult for them to meet every ship at the wharf and meet the customs officer at every ship. So what they did is they they invented the customs broker. So it was a person to deal or broker the deal between U.S. Customs and the merchant. That's where the customs broker name kind of comes from. So you give you a little bit of that history there. So as time grew on, you know, as time goes on from the 1800s to now, we have many laws and regulations passed um, in regards to international trade. So our country was really built on international trade and continues to thrive today and is really the backbone of what we do, uh, import and export here in the United States. So your customs broker used to be that person, but now they've become this wealth of knowledge, or they should be the wealth of knowledge. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But what happens is now companies rely on their broker and they believe that the broker is responsible for everything. Oh, just give it to the broker. They'll take care of everything. The reality of the situation is your customs broker is more like your accountant. So, you know, your tax accountant that files your taxes, they're not uh, responsible for what you're doing and making, you know, paying the right amount of taxes. That's that's completely up to you, and you really have to double-check your accountant and make sure that everything that you gave your accountant is correct. Because if you give your accountant misinformation, then the accountant isn't liable for that. You are reliable for that as a company or an individual. Same thing happens with U.S. Customs. The customs broker is responsible for processing that shipment or processing the paperwork in a timely fashion with the knowledge of the facts that's presented to them in a timely fashion. So whatever is given to them, they have to present it properly to U.S. Customs, and it has to be done in a timely fashion. Outside of that, you know, if you put on the paperwork that it's U.S. origin and your customs broker sends it to the United States Customs and says, okay, this is U.S. origin, but all the boxes are made in China, customs broker is not responsible for that. Uh, And you really have to do your due diligence. We'll talk about that in later episodes, but... The laws and regulations really have layered on since the beginning, um, especially since 1985 and the Mod Act. So that that was a big pivot uh, with what customs brokers and what importers were reliable for in the industry. So 
really, your, your customs broker is going to be that bridge between you and U.S. Customs. And you really want somebody that's going to be involved and going to help you out uh, and educate you on what your liabilities are and what you're responsible for. So fast forward today, we have many trucks coming across the border. We have many shipments coming in. Uh, no longer do we have a merchant that's uh, sending out a crew to do some trade with uh, foreign lands over seas over months. Uh, very different trade atmosphere than before. We have many trade agreements. We have government agencies that have regulations over different products. Uh, we have FDA, DOT, EPA. The list goes on and on. We have trade agreements with Chile, and, and uh, we have trade agreements with Israel and, and Canada and Mexico, and it, it all gets very complex. Uh, and what I see out there is a, a lot of importers um, – really don't know what they're responsible for. And we see a lot of what we call transactional customs brokers. So where did the transactional customs broker come in? So uh, what happened in the industry is you had to have a licensed customs broker, which there's an exam that's administered by the federal government. You have to take that exam. About 75% of that is, is how to do a tariff classification previous episode we talked about that and then the rest of it is the other regulations that are involved uh, for title 19 only so that's only uh, u.s customs regulations there's nothing on the exam about fda epa dot any of those other regulations so it's very important that you know you find a customs broker that's going to be kept up on regulations and has some internal education programs for their for their employees so what we want to look at is, is so these transactional customs brokers that are out there, they look at it as part of the supply chain, which a customs broker really isn't part of the supply chain. Customs broker is more part of your compliance for your company. And compliance has become an, an integral part of a sophisticated company because if that entry is filed wrong, you're not taking care, you know, you're not taking advantage of a trade agreement or you're not following regulations, it becomes more costly to you than the price of an entry. So those transactional brokers came in because previously you had to have a licensed customs broker at every port, brick and mortar, very costly to expand your business. So there wasn't a lot of large customs brokers, you know, so there you had, you know, XYZ customs broker in Baltimore, you had ABC customer and, you know, customs broker in Tampa, and so on and so forth. So what happened is these freight companies or small package companies started offering guarantees on delivery and they started offering guarantees on international delivery across the border in the United States. So United States and Canada. With doing that, they lacked control over one piece of that supply chain or what they thought was part of the supply chain, So, which was the customs brokerage. So they would pick up a package in Canada, they would put it on their planes, they would fly it to the United States, and then they would have to wait for the customs broker to process the entry. Previously, before that, before this just-in-time mentality came in, um, it would take some. It would take a day or two for the customs broker to react, and then they'd file the paperwork. They'd go down to customs. They'd get it stamped. They'd bring back the stamp. So a very manual process, and it took some time. So these freight companies decided, you know, we're going to buy customs brokers and we're going to do it ourselves because it's just an ancillary service that we can offer, and it's a transaction. So these freight companies that went out and bought 
customs brokers looked at it as a transaction. So very similar to delivering the freight. They would pick up the freight at point A and deliver it to point B, and they were done. So they looked at customs brokerage as just this little hurdle in their way to guarantee delivery of their product. So to pick it up at point A and deliver it at point B, they looked at the data for customs the same way. Oh, look, we could buy a customs broker. All we have to do is process this paperwork, which is take the stuff that's on the invoice, type it into a program, and send it to U.S. Customs, and we're done. So hear me out. There's no, I'm not saying anything bad against freight companies. All I'm saying is a freight company really isn't the best customs broker. So we have another type of customs broker. So we look at those. Those are the transactional-based customs brokers. There's also operational-based customs brokers in the industry. Now, what they are, they're just customs brokers. They do consulting. They do education. They do drawback. They help you do import programs. They'll help you write an import and export manual for the United States. They'll integrate parts. They'll help you look at, hey, I'm building a new product. Let's look at that ahead of time and make sure that we're taking advantage of trade agreements. Hey, we're importing parts from all over the world, manufacturing it here, and we're selling it to Australia. Well, wouldn't it be a good idea to take care of, take advantage of the Australia Free Trade Act? That, in essence, is what a customs broker is. It's not that little tiny piece of a supply chain that you think it is. It's really, as, as companies become more sophisticated, they're looking for that partner in international trade. So that's really what we have with a good customs broker or an operational-based customs broker. So we look at transactional-based. They look at it as like delivering a package, point A to point B. And then you have the operational-based customs broker, which is really going to become an extension of your international team. Now, if you're a small to medium-sized company, they may have, you know, people at your company are going to wear many hats, so they're going to do many things. So it's important to have someone who's educated, who understands your product. And really, we're moving into a time period now where we have to take the customs broker away from the border and move them into the boardroom to become a strategic partner with your company so that, you know, when you're doing product development, with, which, like I mentioned before, you understand all the nuances of global trade. So for these small to medium-sized companies to compete with the large companies, and even large companies I see are getting fines and penalties out there for doing things that they don't understand because they look at, you know, they look at this as a transaction. So as we spoke about earlier about their, their you know, CBP's enforcement strategy, they're increasing the amount of fines and penalties exponentially every year moving forward. So it's very important to make sure that you have a customs broker that's going to be that's going to be there for you. So you can have as many customs brokers as you want. Uh, you can send out powers of attorney to 52 of them, which uh, in the past when we've sat down with some uh, uh, potential clients, we've seen a number of powers of attorney signed uh, with different brokers. So really, you're going to want to make sure that to kind of manage that relationship, you're going to want to have some kind of SOP written with your broker. You're going to want to have somebody in your facility that's in charge of that but really, what it boils down to is 
transactional versus operational. Now, what happens? How, where, where do you know, what, what today, how do you become a customs broker? Um, so there's a, like I said, there's a federally administered exam. 75% of it is tariff classification of it. The rest of it's the other regulations. And then you apply to U.S. Customs to get that license once you pass the exam. So that'll give an individual a license. And then if a corporation wants to go for a license, they're going to apply for a license as a corporation. So it takes about a year to do. Um, and then you're good to go. You have to get a local permit, which uh, the customs broker will have a local permit to be able to file entries in their port. Uh, so uh, like here, we're in the port of Buffalo, New York, so we can file entries in the port of Buffalo. But we also have a national permit, which allows us to file entries at all 232 ports. And we have been approved for our remote location filing. So we can file entries at any port in the United States. So it's very important to make sure you understand who your broker is, what their education policy is, because once you get your broker's license, kind of a strange industry, you don't have to do any continuing education. So from the time you get your license, all you have to do is pay a $100 fee every three years to U.S. Customs and you can keep it. So rules are changing at the speed of light now here in this, in, you know, in industry. We have USMCA, which is a whole new trade agreement. We have, uh, you know, FDA comes out with new regulations on FSVP not too long ago. Um, so it, things happen, and, you know, we're talking about Section 301 and 232 duties also that have happened recently. If you don't have a continuing education uh, you know, you don't have a broker who's keeping up with education and has some kind of policy on that. You're, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be left in the dust. Um, so that's that's kind of the ins and outs of uh, of customs brokerage. Um, and then, uh, you know, we'll get into the liabilities of an importer soon. But, uh, you know, really thank you very much, uh, number three of a 10-part series. If you have any questions uh, that, you know, you'd like answered, more than happy to do that for you. We could do that on the podcast uh, or we can, um, you know, I could do that offline in an email. Just send me your questions at Damon, D-A-M-O-N, at Welke, W-E-L-K-E, USA.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll be um, pushing forward in this 10-part series. Have a wonderful day. This has been Trade Secrets, the podcast hosted by Damon Piatek, President and CEO of Welke Customs Brokers USA. Thank you for listening.